Hello, uh, it's great to be with you today as we gather under God's word for his glory. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Isaac. I'm one of the youth pastors here at Richmond Anglican. And today we're going to be wrapping up our series um, on 1 John. We're going to be looking at why John wrote this letter. And we're going to be looking at what it means to live as a Christian in Jesus in the life of the Son apart from the world. Let me pray to begin. Almighty Father, uh, there is nothing more that our soul yearns for than to hear you speak. So, Lord, please speak to us today. Let us faithfully understand and decipher your word. And, Lord, let us not only be a people who listen, but also a people who do. Let us read your word and act in accordance to it. We pray all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So as I said before, we are finishing our series on 1 John with the last section of his letter. The first thing that he says is the reason that he has written this book. Verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that's us. As Christians, we believe in the name of the Son of God. I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. The book of 1 John has been written to counter false views. John's pretty clear the truth of Jesus is this. He came to earth, fully God, fully man, and walked in the flesh. If you walk with Jesus, you walk in the light and you are a child of God. And as Peter said last week, 1 John is ultimately saying that if you have the Son, the true Son, then you have life. But if you don't have the Son, then you don't have life. So John has climaxed to this point where he says that life is in the Son, not the world. Then in the last section of this letter, he's going to give us some practical advice about what it looks like to live life in the sun. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, a while ago, I watched a documentary on a boy named David Vetter, or you may know him as the Bubble Boy. Uh, David suffered from severe combined immunodeficiency. Uh, it's a hereditary disease that dramatically weakens the immune system. In this boy, it was so severe that he could not even live in the world as we know it. At David's birth, a special sterilized cocoon was made where he was placed immediately after coming out of his mother's womb. The cocoon was even more like a bubble, a piece of plastic inflated up and he had to live inside of it. It was entirely germ-free. Um, and as you can imagine, this proved rather difficult for David and all those trying to help him, um, including his family. All items that went inside the bubble had to be placed in a chamber filled with ethylene oxide gas for four hours at 60 degrees Celsius, and then they had to be aerated for up to seven days before they could be placed in the bubble with him. Any germ could be fatal to David. Things that through our lens of the world look completely safe. Breathing, drinking a glass of milk, going for a walk with your dog, activities that seem completely safe could destroy David's health just like that. So from his point of view, nearly every bit 
of the world was dangerous. It was contaminated. It wasn't safe to be involved in. Well, in the passage we're looking at today, there is an extraordinary statement by John about the danger of the world. He says in verse 19 that the whole world, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. What an extraordinary statement. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Satan controls the world. Do you believe that? Do you think about that when you go about your daily lives? That in this world, Satan is in charge? The whole world is under the control of Satan. And as Christians, that's what we're up against. Just like David Vedder, we have to acknowledge and think about ways of mitigating the dangerous power of the world of Satan because the world is controlled by him. And Satan is really dangerous. In, um, in fact, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, The God of this age, Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What an amazing statement. Satan is the God of this age. He is the God of the unbelievers. Whether they are practicing demonic and satanic worship in the outback or they're just going about their daily lives. Satan is the God of this age. They have been blinded to the true, real God and to the glory of the gospel. The God, lowercase g, of this age controls the world and controls unbelievers. However, as Christians, uh, although we are physically in the world, we are not under the control of Satan. Look at verse 19. It says that we know that we are children of God. Now, remember back in 2 Corinthians, it said that the God of this age had blinded the minds of unbelievers. He'd blinded their minds. Well, have a look what it says in our passage, verse 20. It says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Christians are no longer blinded by the God of this age. First John tells us that we have been given an understanding of the truth of the Son of God. That verse continues on. It tells us about where we are, although we are physically in the world. It says, And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The world has been deceived by Satan. They are blinded to the truth of Christ. Yet we do not live in that darkness. We do not cling to the false promises of the world. Instead, we cling to something else. We cling to the truth of Jesus Christ. We cling to the glorious splendor of the Father and of the Son. And this verse says that we are in him, in Jesus, not in the world. And what is the result? Eternal life. Life in the Son. Now, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a similar problem. Like the boy in the bubble, they were aware of the dangers of the world, and they were going to guard against it. They were physically in a world controlled by false idols, false gods, and sin. Yet they and Daniel, later in the book, were not under the control 
of the world. They were serving the living and the true God. They refused to bow down to the king and to the golden statue. They refused to give up the true God, Yahweh. Further on in Daniel chapter 6, we see that when Daniel was given a command not to pray, what did he do? Verse 10 of Daniel 6 says, Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Brothers and sisters, we are in Christ. We have life in Christ. We are not controlled by the evil one who controls the world. So like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when the world says do this, we say no, regardless of the consequences, and we serve the true God instead, the God who gives life. In our culture, we don't have the same obvious idols they did back then, but so many other things have become idols, right? When the world says, make money, get a good job and spend it all on yourself so you can be rich, we have to say, no, we're going to serve the true God instead. When the world says, it's school holidays, now you can go and have fun, hang out with your mates, go to the movies, what a lot of the kids do at this church, they spend half of their holidays serving at track. Track is exhausting. That was my first year at track this year, and I was buggered by the end of that week, I'll tell you that much. Um, and those kids, they do it. They spend half of their holidays, 10 weeks at school, half of their holidays serving at track. When the world says, oh, you've turned 65, now you can retire, you can play golf, maybe even some lawn bowls, drink tea, and do nothing else. That's what you deserve. We have to say no. Life is in the sun, and I will serve the sun until the day he calls me home. Friends, life is in the sun, not the world. So let's be people who say no to the world, say no to the world controlled by Satan, and let's give a joyful yes to serving and following the living, true God. And the result of this is eternal life. We are not of the world that is controlled by the evil one and dying. We have life in the Son. Now, our passage today um, is going to give us some con concluding remarks by John. He's going to give us some pointers of what it looks like to have life in the Son and not be under the control of the world. Now, uh, those of you who know me know I could probably talk forever, and I've gotten in trouble for that at youth group before. So I'm just going to um, try and highlight three key points from this passage about what it looks like to have life in the sun rather than the world. The first is prayer. The second is that Christians should not sin. They should be righteous. And the third is that we should not have idols. I'm going to read verses 14 to 16 again. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. As those who have life in the sun, we can have confidence in approaching God. And what kind of confidence is that? We can have confidence that God will answer our prayers with a yes. This is for you, Chris. If they are in line with God's will. The red sports car 
probably not in line with God's will, but keep trying, Chris. Um, well, that's an obvious run, right? You can see how many times did Jesus talk about the dangers of being rich? It's dangerous. You don't want to be rich. And I think that this, uh, this section kind of reminds me of that it's just remarkable to be a Christian, that God will allow broken, sinful humans and God will ordain our prayers to enact his holy and perfect will. He wants us to be a part of his bigger story. And I just find that amazing, that he wants us to be part of his amazing, amazing plan. Any requests brought to God in line with his will will be answered with, the, with an affirmative. Do you have confidence in this? When you pray, do you expect God to answer your prayers? Are you reading your Bible so you can understand what God's will is? Now, in this passage, there's one thing that we know is God's will, and that is that it's God's will to forgive the sins of his people. We just talked about how if anything is prayed according to God's will, it will be granted. And then see, in verse 16, it says that if anyone sees a brother commit a sin, he should pray and God will give him life. So one, prayers are answered in the affirmative if they are in line with God's will. Two, if a brother or a sister commits a sin, should pray for forgiveness and God will grant it. Therefore, it's God's will to forgive the sins of his people. And this is the trend we see all throughout the Bible. God wants to forgive. God wants to save. God wants to be with Israel. In Genesis 18, God looks at the sin and the depravity of Sodom and his righteous anger and wrath burns against them. And Abraham, he pleads with God. He says, God, if you can only find 50 righteous people in the whole city, will you spare the city? And God says, yes. Abraham says, what if you can only find 40 righteous people in the city? Will you spare the city? Yes. What about 30? What about 20? Abraham says, what if you can only find 10 righteous people in the whole city? Will you spare the city? And God says yes. Life in the sun means that we can have confidence that God will forgive us and grant us eternal life. When you sin, you should pray, seek forgiveness, and God will grant it. Just like Abraham, plead forgiveness for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and God will grant it. Meet with your friends, confess your sins together, pray for forgiveness for each other, and God will grant it. Now, before we move on, I just want to add some comments on the second half of verse 16, when John talks about the sin that leads to death and the sin that does not lead to death. Firstly, the death here that John is talking about, it's an eternal death, eternal separation from God. We see in the verse earlier that the sin that does not lead to death is the sin that God forgives. And as broken people who have life in the Son, I think we can understand that that we sin, but it does not lead to eternal death because God forgives those sins. So the sin that does not lead to death is the sin that God forgives. Now, of the sin that does lead to death, it's not 100% clear what John means here, but I think that this is the sin of the one who has knowledge of God but rejects him anyway. A conscious denial, a heart unwilling to respond in faith to the gospel, the sin that leads to death 
is the sin of not choosing to have life in the Son, but rather choosing to live in a world controlled by Satan. Life in the Son means that we can have confidence, assurance in approaching God in prayer. That's our first thing. The second thing is that life in the Son means that you do not go on sinning. Verse 18 says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now, this does not, not mean that believers um, will be perfect, because if we look around, we know that. Um, yeah, like ask my family, they'll know I'm not perfect. Um, but it means that we do not persist in unrepentant sin. What John means here is that those who have life in the Son are not under the control of sin. They are not slaves to sin. And we know this because back in chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 8, John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He knows that we'll still stumble, but he's saying that we are no longer under the power of sin, under the dominion of darkness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were surrounded by a culture controlled by evil and sin, just like us. Yet even on death, they said, I am not sinning against my God. Verse 17 and 18 of Daniel 3 says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So let's be a people who live life in the sun like these men, with the knowledge that God can and eternally will save us, and with the audacity to say no to the world, no to sin in a world so obsessed by sin. Life in the sun means that we hate sin and love righteousness. Life in the sun means we do not persist in unrepentant sin. We are free from the dominion of darkness. We are free from sin. So be eager to confess your sin. Be eager to seek forgiveness. Hate your sin. Loathe your sin. Praise God that you are free from sin. And I think the more that you understand how bad sin is, the more you will just become astonished by how big God's grace is for us. Life in the sun means that we do not go on sinning without repentance. Instead, we hate our sin and ask forgiveness when we stumble. The last thing we're going to be looking at today is that life in the sun means we do not have idols. Now, if we follow John's logic in this passage, we can see why we shouldn't have idols. Verse 20 says that the Son of God has come, and here he is referring to the fact that Jesus came in the flesh, God and human walking the earth. And then it says that he has given us understanding so we may know that Jesus is true and this leads to eternal life. So unlike the false teaching of the Gnostics and the others, the knowledge leading to salvation is a knowledge in a real, true person who walked the earth, died but then rose again and is still alive today. The knowledge leading to salvation in a, is a knowledge in a real, true person. That means that we don't put anything else in his place. We have the truth 
the glorious truth that John has been talking about. Nothing else can compare to that. Nothing else should be put in that place. So John wraps up his book, the whole book, by saying, uh, verse 21, he says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was driving home from Richmond, uh, past the Colo soccer fields, and I went down into the ditch, and there was so much fog and mist that I probably couldn't see about five metres in front of my car, and I had to go about 30 kilometres an hour um, the whole way along that road. Um, Well, John Calvin writes about this verse here. He says, The vivifying light of the gospel ought to scatter and dissipate not only darkness, but also all mists from the minds of the godly. So what is your mist? What are you putting in the place of God? What is impairing your vision of God and the truth of Jesus? For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was a golden statue. But I even think for them, it was actually just acceptance in Babylon. For you, is it family? Is it money? Is it your pets? Is it retirement? Is it holidays? Is it investment properties? What are you putting in place of the truth of the gospel? The gospel is so majestic and glorious that it ought to dissipate anything else. Do not have idols. Do not put anything before the Lord your God. Instead, cling to the truth of Jesus and the true eternal life that he brings. At Hawkesbury Youth Mission, um, over a month ago, we sang one of my favourite songs that um, we do sing at the 6pm service also. And there are over 80 young people in this room singing this out. The bridge goes like this. It says, In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. In all my victories, Jesus is better. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Our souls declaring, Jesus is better. Our song eternal, Jesus is better. Glory, glory, we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. My prayer is that this song will become a soundtrack to our lives. Uh, Jesus is better. He's better than sorrows. He's better than victories. He's better than comforts. He's even better than all the riches in the world. Jesus is better. So, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Instead, cling to the truth and majesty of the gospel. Life in the sun, life is in the sun, and Jesus is better. The world is controlled by the evil one, but we have life in the sun. And John has given us some practical advice of what it looks like to have life in the sun. We're to have confidence when approaching God in prayer. We're to have freedom from sin, and we should not put anything or anyone in the place of God because Jesus is better. Let me pray. Almighty Father, uh, thank you for sending us your Son. Thank you for giving us an understanding uh, of the truth of the gospel. And Lord, thank you for giving us life, eternal life in your Son, Jesus. Lord, let the glory and majesty of the gospel overtake our lives. Let us want to talk to you. Let us want to be righteous. Let us hate our sin and let us never put anything in your place. Work in us so that we can become a people more like your son. 
so that we can become a people who yearn to live every second of every day in your Son. We pray that all that we do will give you glory, honour and praise as we live life in the Son. And all of God's people said, Amen.